John chapter 9. Would you find it with me this morning? The Gospel of John, the ninth chapter. John chapter 9. We started this chapter last week and looked at just the miracle. Uh, and uh, this morning we're going to look at the aftermath of the miracle. I have a tall task before me because I've got to go from verse 13 down to verse 41 this morning. So settle in for a little while. It won't be too bad. But John chapter number 9. It is interesting that in this miracle of the man born blind, that there is a lot more attention given to the aftermath of the miracle than the miracle itself. Really, it only requires two verses for Jesus to perform the miracle, two verses that tells you how he did it. But then the remainder of the chapter is taken up with the controversy that rises from the miracle. And the usual suspects, the Pharisees, they are the ones that have a problem. They are upset because the miracle takes place on the Sabbath when it could have waited just one more day. Um, we have seen the Pharisees angry and murderous against the Lord over a Sabbath controversy. And here is just another episode in a long line of clashes that they have with Christ over their silly extra-biblical Sabbath rules. Now, over and over in the Gospel of John, we have noted the purpose statement that is found at the end of the book, and it is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so the emphasis on belief is found over and over in this book. But really, belief and unbelief stand as opposing principles. So in every chapter and every scene, there is somebody that believes. There is somebody that does not believe. Chapter 1, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But in that chapter, there are five men who become his first disciples, and they did believe. Chapter 2, at the wedding of the Cana of Galilee, the Bible says that his disciples believed on him. Then he goes to Jerusalem that first time where he cleanses the temple and performs some miracles. And the Bible says that many believed in his name when they saw the miracles, which he did. Chapter 3, John had, or Jesus has this lengthy discussion with Nicodemus. And at the end of that conversation, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Here's a man that did not believe. And then John chapter 4, Jesus witnesses to the woman at the well in Sychar. She believes in Christ. And through her testimony, the entire village of Sychar believes. And they say, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Then you come to John 5. Jesus heals this man, the impotent man in the pool of Bethesda, on the Sabbath day. The Jews make it their first attempt to try to kill him. And to those Jews, Jesus declares, He that heareth my word and believeth in them that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but be passed from death unto life. They didn't believe. Then in John chapter 6, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the multitude think it's a good idea to try to force him to become king. 
But at the end of the chapter, they're all walking away because they don't believe his hard sayings. Chapter seven, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. We spent several weeks there and, and there's different views of Jesus. Some, his brethren did not believe, some believe, but are fearful of the Jews, others do not believe. John chapter eight, the controversy continues between uh, Jesus and the Jews and they not only do not believe his claims, but they take up stones to stone him. So in every chapter, in every scene, there's belief and there's unbelief. And in this scene, in John chapter nine, those two principles are in stark contrast to each other. The blind man first states that he does not know who the man was who healed him. Then when he hears that it was Jesus, he doesn't know if Jesus is the Messiah. But in the very end, you're gonna hear him say this morning, Lord, I believe that you are the son of God. But in the same picture are Pharisees who have more evidence than they know what to do with, but they choose willful ignorance, willful deliberate blindness to the Son of God, belief and unbelief. The blind are made to see and the seeing are made blind. And that's exactly how it is with the gospel. Either the light of the gospel opens blinded eyes and the unbeliever believes, or the sinner refuses to believe. And most men do not believe because they refuse to believe. It is not for lack of knowledge. It is not because of insufficient evidence. It is a lack of conviction and desire. Jesus has already performed so many miracles, but when you see a man who was born blind be healed, what else do you need to see? What else is there to say? If this miracle does not convince you that the healer is the son of God, then there is no miracle that is going to convince you. And that's what we see in this passage. Unbelief that is so strong and that is so obstinate in the heart of the Pharisees that no miracle, no teaching, no sign could ever pierce the darkness of their heart. And I say to you this morning that when we try to witness to someone as we should, the greatest obstacle that we will ever face is the obstacle of unbelief. Either they do not believe that they are a sinner or they do not believe that God would send a sinner to hell or they don't believe the crucifixion and the resurrection are true and they go to hell because of their unbelief. And the task of the soul winners to somehow break through the darkness and the lies and the false notions that Satan has planted in their mind so that they can finally see the truth. But when a man persists in his unbelief, it is as if, is as if the darkness gets only blacker and blacker and deeper and deeper. And when a man does not believe because he loves his sin, he does not want to believe then he will demand more evidence while ignoring the evidence he's been given because unbelief is as much moral as it is intellectual. And in this story, there are four movements, there are four scenes of investigation as the Pharisees investigate this miracle. And in every scene, in every interrogation, here's what you're gonna see. You're gonna see this man's faith grow while you see these people, these Pharisees' unbelief grow in animosity as well. It's as if you can see blinded eyes opening to the faith 
and seeing eyes closing to the truth. One man grows in his knowledge and acceptance of Christ while other men grow in their unbelief of Christ. That's the story of the gospel. When you witness and people get saved, they grow in faith, but when you reject the gospel, they grow in animosity toward the gospel. So here's the way I'm gonna take the passage this morning. I, I'm not even gonna outline it, but here's what I want you to see. I want you to see blindness and belief next to each other. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start in verse number eight, and we're just gonna make our way down to the passage. I'm watching the time, and I want you to see at every step, at every step, one man getting closer to the truth and one man getting farther away from the truth. The blind seeing and the seeing made blind. Now then the first scene, the first scene, if you wanna mark it in your Bible, is John nine, verse eight through verse number 16, all right? Watch it with me now, verse number eight. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him, but he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and I went and washed, and I received sight. It's not clear that anyone knew what was happening to the blind man until he comes back from the pool of Siloam, this time without a walking cane, tin cup, dark sunglasses. So it's obvious that something has happened. And when the neighbors saw him that he had sight, they are so shocked that they're not sure that it's the same man. Now, gaining sight doesn't change your physical appearance, but the change was so great in blindness to sight that they said, this is not the same man. And by the way, it's good when your neighbors can tell that you have been with Jesus. It looks like John, but he don't act like John. He don't talk like the John I knew. I'm not sure it's even the same John. That's what they're saying, all right? When your neighbors see the change, then they have to ask what happened. What happened to you? Here's the reason why. Your neighbor believes in a show me religion. He may not believe your doctrine, but he believes that if you believe your doctrine, that your doctrine should do something in your life. He may not believe your religion, but he believes that if you got religion, then it ought to make a change in your life. Your neighbors may not believe anything that you say, but they wanna see something change in your life. Now, 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 the blind man, he knows absolutely next to nothing at this point. And here's the reason why. Synagogue rules did not allow the blame or the lame, the, the blind or the lame or, or the disease to come into the synagogue. So it's very likely that he's not really well versed in Old Testament scripture. Maybe he has heard of Jesus, maybe he has not. So when they ask him, tell us what has happened, here's all that he can say. All that I know is that a man named Jesus came by, told me to wash in the pool of Siloam, I did that and I was healed. He could not have given you a Roman's map to heaven. He would not have been able to argue any theology that you wanted to argue. He didn't know the answer to any hard questions. All I know is Jesus, 
All I know is Jesus passed by. I was blind and now I see. And, 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 and you and I have a book full of excuses as to why we don't witness. And one of them is I don't know what I would say. But can you say Jesus passed by my way and my life was changed forevermore? If you got a hard question, you'll have to ask somebody else. All I can tell you is I was lost, but now I am found. I may not be a scholar, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You'll have to ask the theological pretzels to somebody else. All I can tell you is Jesus passed by my way and things have been different ever since then. Well, look at verse number 13. They said unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. They are amazed at what has transpired. They have never seen anything like this before, so they bring him to the Pharisees. And I have to wonder why did they have to get the Pharisees involved? The Pharisees are respected, they are religious men, but the Pharisees ain't never helped nobody. So why are we bringing them into the picture now? Now, it is possible that they bring the Pharisees in as the clerics of the day and, and we need a spiritual explanation. Because if anyone knew how this was going to fit into the Bible, they would know. If, if there was some religious explanation, then the Pharisees would be the guys to ask. If, 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 if the Old Testament has any bearing on this and there is no blind man healed in the Old Testament, but if there is a verse that we have not yet discovered, then the Pharisees would know that verse. Or it could be, it could be that when they heard the blind man say it was Jesus, well, they knew the Pharisees were set against him anyway. They, they knew that the Pharisees were trying to kill him. In fact, the Pharisees had already put the word out that if you believe in Jesus, we would kick you out of the synagogue. Look in verse number 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was a Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So it could be that the people have brought this man to the Pharisees because they're scared, they're confused. We're, we're not sure this name Jesus kind of scares us. So how do we accept the miracle while denying the miracle worker? So, 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 so but, but here's, here's, here's another reason why they brought him because of verse 14. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now you and I wouldn't care what day the miracle happened. Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, it don't, it don't matter. He, he's, he, a miracle happened, so what does it matter what day of the week? But we've already seen the Pharisees clash with Jesus over their Sabbath rules. So now they're gonna pounce on this as their main source of condition. condition. Now, now, now here's, here's the reason why. The rabbis, as you know, have added thousands and thousands of regulations to define thou shalt do no work on the Sabbath day. Well, what is work? They've defined it with thousands and thousands and thousands of rules. They have more regulations than you can possibly keep up with. In fact, one of their Sabbath rules was that you could not heal a man on the Sabbath day. You can give him medicine to keep him comfortable to get him through to tomorrow. 
and tomorrow we'll take care of him. But don't give him anything more. If he's got a toothache, then give him something to deaden the pain, but tomorrow we'll take care of the tooth. That was one of their rules because to go beyond that, what was to work? Just keep him comfortable, keep him alive, get him to a doctor tomorrow. And I suppose that Jesus could have waited till tomorrow, but why wait? Blindness is not a life-threatening disease in this case. He's been blind all of his life, so what is one more day in the darkness? But Jesus didn't cater to their silly rules. There's no use to make this man wait another day. And so the neighbors come to the Pharisees and they make it a point to tell you that this miracle took place on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, which makes me wonder if the neighbors weren't disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of apostate Judaism. So this becomes an issue. Watch this in verse 15. Then again, the Pharisees also ask him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. Now you get ready to see unbelief. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Now here's what we have. We have an investigation. The Pharisees have heard a report of a serious violation of their Sabbath rules. So they're gonna investigate. They're gonna ask some questions. They're gonna make some inquiries. Let's see if, if there has been a violation of the Sabbath rules. So they ask the healed man, how did it happen? He repeats the story. He tells them the exact same thing that he told the neighbors because it is so cut and dry. He put clay in my, clay in my eyes. He told me to wash in the pool of Siloam. I did. When I came back, I had sight and now I can see. Here's their conclusion. This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. How about that for an investigation? How about that for an inquiry? Does that mean that they have all of the information they need to make that conclusion? Because they have come to the conclusion really, really quick. And what you see is the hostility, unbelief. If it was written in the sky, they would not believe because they are not objective seekers of the truth. In fact, notice that they don't even say his name. They say this man is not of God. In verse 24, they say this man is a sinner. In verse, 20, verse 29, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Can I just remind you, this man has a name. And it's a precious name. Amen. But there is disdain in their voice. Here's what they do. They start from the position of unbelief and we work from there. So here's our conclusion. This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath. They're using logic here, all right? And, and, and I don't want to get technical here. They're using a form of logic that is a syllogism. And a syllogism is where you have two premises, a major and a minor premise, and if those two premises are true, then you draw a conclusion off of that. For example, all of the cars in the parking lot are Fords. Uh, John's car is in the parking lot. Therefore, John's car 
is a Ford. So two premises, and I come to a conclusion. Here's their premise. All people who keep, all people who are from, all people from God keep the Sabbath. Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath. Conclusion, Jesus is not from God. That's their investigation. When they hear that it is Jesus who did the miracle, they don't wait to see if he is from God. They have already decided that he is not. They begin with the conclusion and they reason backwards. They say in verse 16, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Watch this other said. How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Oh, so, so now we now we got we got a split now. Because now there's some people, they're, they're not too sure about that. I understand what you just said, but how can a man who is a sinner do such miracles? Here's their promise. Only God can open blinded eyes. Jesus opened blinded eyes. Jesus must be from God. How can a man who is a sinner do such miracles? Now here's what's interesting to me. That's the last you hear from that crowd. It's almost as if they get shouted down and the Pharisees take over and after verse 15, you don't hear anything else from those people anymore. It's the only spark of belief in the passage and they're quickly just, they're just shut down and they decide it's best for us to just keep our mouths shut. And it's telling how that unbelief is so, is so aggressive. Unbelief has already made up its mind and it challenges anything or attacks anything that challenges their unbelief. They, they, they make an intellectual conclusion. They're very quickly going to go to an emotional conclusion. And then they're going to go from verbal to physical when they kick him out of the synagogue. Their conclusion is that Jesus is not of God. And when that conclusion is challenged, they begin to attack those who challenge that conclusion. That is the hostility of unbelief. And, and I just want to say this before I move on. Unbelief is not passive. Right. Unbelief is aggressive. Right. Unbelief is hostile toward Christ. Right. There is no neutral ground with Jesus Christ. Amen. You are either for him or you are against him. Do you remember during the years of Christ's ministry on this earth, it was the scribes and Pharisees who sought to kill him, not the common people. But on that last day before the crucifixion, they have the people crying, crucify him, crucify him. Not just the Pharisees, because in the heart of the people is unbelief, and unbelief is aggressive, it is hostile against the truth. The Pharisees have already been on record that they believe Jesus to be demon possessed. We believe he is a son of Beelzebub. We believe that he is a madman. And that's a hostile position to take. But now the people are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. So that's the first scene. So now we come in verse number 17 to the second interrogation. And there are two things that cannot be not denied at this point. The man was blind the man can see. Amen. It's impossible to deny the obvious, but they're not gonna allow themselves to see the truth, so we've got to continue our investigation. There has to be more to the story. There's gotta be something you're not telling us. There's a twist, there, there's a lie in here somewhere. And by the way, you'll meet people like that when you're witnessing. Come on. 
They refuse to accept the truth and they become hardened in their position. Look at verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? That he hath opened thine eyes. He said, he is a prophet. We've already determined that Jesus is not from God because he doesn't obey our silly Sabbath rules. But what are we gonna do about this healing? We, we can't dispute the miracle, but we're afraid that people will start believing that this Jesus is the Christ, so, so we're gonna have to discredit him somehow. So they asked the blind man, what do you think about this man? You say it was a man named Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? And I love how this man will give his testimony four times in this chapter, and it's the same every time. It didn't matter who he tells the story to, it is the same story. You know it's hard to get a man off his story when he's just stuck on the truth. And getting saved becomes so real and so vivid to you that the story is all the testimony that you need. And it doesn't matter if you're talking to your family or to your neighbor or to a religious person or your boss, it's the same story. Now, now, now watch, watch this because I told you, blindness and belief at the same time. And I want you to watch how this man's faith grows before all that he knew was his name. That's all that I know. But now that I've had time to think about it, I believe that he is a prophet. A prophet. A prophet is a messenger from God. A prophet is someone who is sent from God. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. I know his name, but now I believe that he is a man sent from God. The only interaction that he had with Jesus was the first one. After the healing, there's no report that he goes back to Jesus, never sees him after that. But, 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 but he testified to what Jesus had done. Now he's gonna to testify to who Jesus is. Now that I think about it, I don't think he is just an ordinary man. Now, now that I've had time to dwell on it and you're asking me for somebody to do what he did for me, this man has to be sent from God. He did what no one else could do, so he must be what no one else is. And, and, and when you get saved, it won't be all just about the miracle, but it'll be about the one who did the miracle. I can't tell you what he did without telling you about who he is. Don't ask me to teach a class in Christology just yet, but I do know his name and I know he is from God. I do know that much. Faith is growing. Well, it's not satisfactory, verse 18. Are you still with me? Verse 18, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They asked them saying, is this your son whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? We're gonna see, we're gonna see unbelief going the opposite direction now. The blind man, he's getting closer and closer to the truth. The Pharisees, they were getting farther and farther away from the truth. Not satisfied with the blind man's testimony. Now we're gonna go talk to his parents and it's going to get a little bit ridiculous. Right. Is that your son? Yes. Are you sure he was blind? Yes. Yeah. Are you sure he can see now? Yes. And this always amazes me in this story right here. 
Yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. Yes, he has been healed. How did it happen? Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who had opened his eyes, we know not. Oh, he's our son. He was born blind. Something's happened where he can see. How did it happen? We don't know. I don't know who did this. Does that make sense to you? Does it mean that they haven't heard what has happened? Does it mean they don't believe what has happened? Huh? How, how can you not know? Everybody else in town knows. Why do they not know? Well, the next verse tells you, verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. They knew, but they were afraid to say his name. If we say it was Jesus, then that brings us to the unthinkable conclusion that this Jesus is from God because only God could do this. But if we tell the truth, we'll be thrown out of the synagogue. We'd accept the truth, but there is a price to pay for the truth. For the Jews, synagogue life wasn't just religious life. It was societal life as well. Everything wrapped around the synagogue. And for you to be excommunicated from the synagogue, that was a mark of shame and disgrace. In fact, if you died, if you died while you were excommunicated from the synagogue, they wouldn't give you a proper funeral. So you would be dishonored even in your death. It is a big deal for the Jews to get kicked out of the synagogue and for fear of the Jews, they said, he's our son, he was born blind, he has been healed. We have no idea how it happened. And how many people have you ever shared the gospel with that would have believed, but they counted the cost of believing? There's a cost coming to Christ. There's a price for believing the gospel. And here are men, they can see the truth just as plain as day. They know, they know that healing is a Christ, but we cannot come to that conclusion. Well, we come to verse 24, and here's the third movement in this. They're going to call the men again. And there's something about this miracle. The Pharisees won't drop it. Right. At this point, they've talked to the neighbors. They've talked to the blind man. They've talked to the parents. It's been the same all the way. He was blind. Jesus has healed him. There's no trickery here. There's no fake healing here. There's nothing we're not telling you, so you're going to have to accept it. But they're set in their unbelief, so they bring the blind man back again. Now look at it in verse 23. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. Now, now, I'm not sure exactly what they're saying when they say, give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. Here, here's what I think that they are saying. I think it's kind of like when, when Achan, when Joshua told Achan, give God the glory, tell us what you've done. The only way God's going to get any glory is if you tell the truth and come clean. And I think that what they're saying to this blind man is give God praise. The only way that God's going to get any honor if you come clean to the truth. Now, we know you're holding something back on us. We know the story's not like you're telling us. 
We know, we know that this man is a sinner, so give God the praise and tell us the truth. It can't be that he's from God. Because, 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 well, it just can't be because we don't believe that. And I, I, I love how he responds. He says in verse 25, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. <laughs> One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. You say you know a thing? Well, I know a thing too. You say you know he is a sinner? Well, let me tell you what I know. I know that I was blind, but now I see. Hey, hey, can I tell you, do not be intimidated by the knowledge and the expertise and the brains of the world. They'll try to intimidate you with what they know. Have you ever noticed how there is an expert on everything? If you watch the news, there is an expert on climate control. There is an expert on race relations. There is an expert on gender confusion. They have an expert on everything. Can I tell you the expert is usually wrong? The expert is usually wrong. So when they say, when the Pharisees will say, we know, we're an expert. We know. They're wrong in what they know. They're wrong. You don't know anything. We know he's a sinner. How do you know that? What sin has he committed? Huh? Give me evidence that he is a sinner. And when you see someone claim to be an expert, be extra suspicious of anything that he says because the experts are used to the first one's wrong. He says, whether he be a sinner or not, no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, but now I see. Same story. Third time that he's told it. And it's the same story. You get into trouble when you try to witness to something that you don't know. So stick to what you know. And don't be afraid to say, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that Bible verse. You know, I'm not sure what Ezekiel 48 is all about. I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. At the beginning of the chapter, they are raising the question as to why is he blind? His sin or his parents' sin? This man never questions that because he doesn't know. All that he knows, it's a brighter day since Jesus passed by. All that I know is my life's been changed, it's been rearranged since Jesus passed by. That's all that I know. Verse 26, then said they unto him, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Oh, come on. Come on, really? How many times have you heard it? What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will you also be as a, this is the third time, I'll tell you as many times as you're asking me. As long as you're standing here, I'll go ahead and I will tell you the story again. And it's getting a little bit ridiculous. And I think that this healed man is getting a little bit irritated because so far nobody's glad that he can see. So far, nobody's rejoicing that he's not blind anymore. So far, there is no celebration that he has received his sight. It is all about the Pharisees trying to prove something that they already know, and that is that Jesus is a sinner. And as they get deeper and deeper in their belief, he's moving closer and closer to the truth. Here's what he says. He says, will ye also be his disciples? That's being sarcastic. 
Because he knows they want to kill him. But catch the word. Will ye also be his disciples? Also. He has gone from knowing just his name. I believe he is a prophet. And if I could find him again, I'd be his disciple. I'd sit at his feet and not learn of him. I'd follow him everywhere that he goes. I don't know much about him, but I'd like to know more. I don't know. I don't know where he's going. don't know what he's about. But if I ever see him again, I'm going to follow him. I, 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 I know enough now that I'd be willing to be his. Isn't that how faith grows in you when you got saved? Huh? I mean, I mean, you never cared for church before, but now you love coming to church. You never cared for preaching before, but now you enjoy preaching. I don't know much about Jesus and the Bible, but now I can't get enough. I can't get enough of Jesus. I, sing me another song about him. Preach me another message about him. Tell me something else about Jesus. Wherever he's going, I'm willing to go. Faith is growing. Look what they say, verse 28. I've got to hurry, I've got to hurry. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said to them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is? It is open mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, he may heareth. And since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. It's the last salvo between them. He's getting closer and closer to the truth. They're digging their heels deep in unbelief. And now he's preaching to them. How can you not believe that he's from God? How can you not know who he is? How can you not know where he is from? He opened my eyes. He gave me new eyes. I have sight that I never had before. How can you not know he is from God? You're blind not to see that. How can you not see it? You can't see what I see because you're blind to the truth. We come to verse 34 and it is the final movement in the text and in verse 34, they answered and said to him, Though hast all together born in sins, that goes back to the first verse, dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard they cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? I told you that unbelief moves from intellectual to emotional, from verbal to physical. We can't answer the miracle, we can't answer the man, so we're going to attack the man who received the miracle. When you don't have answers, you either have to accept the truth or you have to go on the attack. And that's what they're going to do. When you witness to somebody who doesn't want to believe, if they can't answer the message, they will attack the messenger. If they can't refute you, then they will revile you. But when they revile you and make it personal, rejoice to know that you're over the target. They can't answer the message. They kick him out of the synagogue, which hadn't done much for him anyway. Right. Jesus hears about him, and Jesus comes back, and he seeks out this man. And remember, there's only been this brief encounter at the beginning of the chapter, 
No report of Jesus and the man after the miracle. This man has believed everything he has known to be true. He has not rejected anything out of the fear of the Pharisees. He has told the same story every single time, and his faith seems to grow, even to imply that he wants to be his disciple. I just know his name is Jesus. I believe he's a prophet sent from God. I'd be his disciple if I could find him again. And now Jesus brings him to the final step. Watch this. In verse 35, dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said to him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. I think at that point he would have believed anything Jesus said. You changed my life. You brought me out of darkness to sight. I'll believe anything you say. There was a time when you got saved. If you'd have read in the Bible that the moon was made out of cheese, you'd have believed it. You'd have believed anything that you read in the Bible. He changed my life. He made me brand new. I believe anything that he says to me. He has come a long way from I just know his name is Jesus to I believe anything that you say. That spiritual sight has got brighter and brighter as it's gone. But watch this, I'm done. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I'm coming to this world, that they which see might not see, that they which see might be made, that they which see not might see, that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Just to complete the pictures, the Pharisees come back and to the scene to confront Jesus. They've lost the round, but they've got to get the last word in somehow. And Jesus said, I have come into the world that those who cannot see would see, that those who can see will not see. The blind are made to see, the seeing are made to blind. And the Pharisees ask in verse 40, are we blind also? Are you trying to say that we're blind? And Jesus said in verse 41, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. If you could see your condition like this blind man, I could help you. You think you see. You think you see. But your problem is you're still in your sin. You need as much a miracle in your life as he needed. But you can't see it. You're blind to the fact that you are a sinner. You're blind to who I am, who it is that stands before you. And it's really bad when you don't see yourself as a sinner, but you think that Jesus is a sinner. And finally, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. They are harder in their unbelief at the end of the chapter than they were at the beginning. They've hardened their heart all along against the evidence. They refused to see what was in front of them. They said, we're not blind. And Jesus said, you remain in your sin because you don't see. Do you remember the day? Do you remember the night when the light of the gospel shone into your soul? You didn't know much, but you knew that somebody made a change in your life. You couldn't have taught a Sunday school class on theology but you knew that where I was, I was lost. I'm now found. 
You couldn't told us much about the Bible, and if you tried to quote John 3, 16, you would have butchered it. But how faith has grown. When I got saved as a child, I could have told you everything I knew about the Bible in five minutes if you let me repeat a few things. But it sure has grown. I know more than just his name. I believe anything that he says. No matter what he says, I believe it. Blind, blind to who I was, but he opened mine eyes. I wonder this morning, have you been blind to your sin, Anna? Come. But does the Holy Spirit even now shine the light of conviction into your soul? You can stand with the blind man or you can stand with the Pharisees. You're either the blind who's been made to see or you are the seeing who are made blind. Don't persist in your blindness. Don't reject, don't fail to see the person that is standing in front of you. Open your eyes and you open your hearts to Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Anna, play for me softly, would you? The altars are open for you if you need to come. I ask you to come and talk to the Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful day when he opened our eyes, made us see things that we'd never seen before. The blind are made to see. But if you're here this morning, you've never been saved. You hear the gospel, you see the gospel. Don't harden your heart against it. Don't, don't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye and become gospel hardened so that nothing can move you. If the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, come, trust Christ. Let him open your heart. Let him open your eyes. Show you things that you never saw before. Heavenly Father,